Hey folks, Jared McMurray here. Little Seinfeld in sports with Jared and Austin. We got Seinfeld humor and sports all around the country, both collegiate and professional. We're going to talk a lot of college basketball today. We're going to touch on Gardner-Webb. We're going to talk about the NBA. They just wrapped up their all-star weekend last weekend. Welcome back, Austin. How you doing? Did you have a good Christmas? I know we're already here in February. We're back. How are you today? I'm pretty good. I missed uh missed this, missed doing this. Um it's been a while. We just talked about how long it's been. I can't even remember the last time we did it, but it's good to be back. Well, let's dive right in. First off, rivalry week in college basketball this week. You know, some real big rivalry, some lesser known ones, some ones that, you know, don't have, you know, as big of implications just because both teams aren't on the same level, but two that are first off Duke and North Carolina playing in Chapel Hill Wednesday. You know, I had Duke written off once Matt Jones got hurt. There was no way they were going to win that game. Somehow they pulled it out. They've won. They might have the, the biggest three stretch of wins in a row of anybody in the country this season. Starting off with Louisville at home last Tuesday, they beat Virginia at home and then winning at North Carolina. And I think it's right tomorrow they go to Louisville. Yeah. Um, how did they get that done? And what what's changed? What's clicked for Duke? Um, yeah, I think it was just a big shift. Um, obviously I'm a little biased. I'm a Duke fan, but I think it's the shift. It was the shift of losing Jefferson and playing with that six man rotation. And then, like you said, when Matt Jones went down. It looked a little bleak. I mean, they only had five people playing. Um, but really, you know, I hate to sound cliche, but I think they just wanted it. And um, obviously Bryce Johnson had a heck of a game. He had – it was incredible in the fact that he had that type of game and they still lost. But I saw a stat that he only touched the ball once in the last 12 minutes. If you're North Carolina, you can't let that happen. For him to be 29 and I think it was 17 or 18, you can't let that happen. Yeah, and the biggest thing is I can't even name the player that shot the last shot. I mean, <laughs> I don't think North Carolina, they didn't, to me, Roy Williams didn't coach the whole game. They didn't play defense. They didn't act like they wanted anything to do with that, that side, of that side yeah. the defensive end. And they, on offense, it was just go down there, shoot it, and hope Bryce Johnson puts it back. Yeah. And finally, Duke was able, you know, Plumlee in the second half was was able to corral enough defensive rebounds and really closing that that margin, the rebounding margin, and they were able to stick with it, stick with it, hit some clutch threes. Ingram and Allen both had tremendous games, I felt like, kept them in the ball games. Like I said a couple weeks ago, folks, Coach K needed a light of fire under this team. He did. They, they've changed their mindset. I think they've accepted that Jefferson's out. Um, you know, if Jones is out extended period of time, you know, it's going to catch up with them. Yeah. They did this last year. They played with, you know, short, you know, not a very deep bench. Well, Grayson Allen was the one that stepped up in the tournament without him, you know, as that their depth, even though he was only the eighth player or whatever he was, seventh or eighth player, it was the depth. If they can get healthy, Jones gets healthy, you know, Jefferson's probably not coming back. But they have the opportunity to make a deep run, you know, the ACC, it's rocky. You know, the standings are rocky. They beat each other up like they talked about, you know, the other night. I don't think you heard this because you weren't watching at the time. But 
a lot of people's schedules, except for Notre Dame, are backlogged. And they have a lot of tough games still left to come. Obviously, Carolina and Duke have to play again. Duke's got to go to Louisville. So it's going to be fun to watch the ACC tournament. Next to the that and the Big Ten tournament are always the two funnest tournaments of the year. Speaking of the Big Ten, IU and Purdue both ranked in the top 25. IU currently leading the Big Ten, um, tied with uh, Iowa, I believe. Purdue sitting there just a couple games back. Purdue gets Maryland and I, IU coming up tomorrow in Bloomington. The toughest place to play, in my opinion, in the country, except for maybe Kansas, is Assembly Hall, Bloomington, Indiana, the Hoosiers. Who you got between IU and Purdue? I'm going to go with Purdue. Um, their post presence, uh, Indiana can shoot the ball on the perimeter um, from what I've seen, but I think that I'm going to go with Purdue for the fact of Hammonds and um, remind me his name is Swanigan, them down low. Yeah. I think their Freshman. post presence is going to be just incredible, and I think they're overpowering Indiana in the post, and that's where it's going to change. Yeah, and I- you know, I'm a big Boilermaker fan, but I, I'm not going to pick against the Hoosiers tomorrow. Uh, they get up and down the floor. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about IU here in a minute. They, they get up and down the floor, and if they can t- get, force Purdue to turn the ball over, they're going to score a lot of points. Purdue's not going to be able to get in their half-court defense. And Purdue's going to feel like they have to play catch-up, shooting threes, and going away from their game, which is the high-low post, putting Swanigan on the post, you know, down low and bringing Hammonds or Haas up on the elbow and just running that high-low. You know, if you get that open three, you get it. But they need – Purdue needs to stick to the game plan, play tough defense. You know, it's going to be a tough stretch for both of these teams coming up. IU's got um, – I believe they got Iowa on the road still. They knocked off Iowa when they played at home but that's going to be a great rivalry also they're only playing once this year but duke and north carolina coming up again some other good rivalries coming up a lot of good college basketball have to be played but what's happening in college basketball villanova's number one team in the country i think two weeks in a row now they are the only team in ncaa basketball that has not lost to an unranked team there have been four top six teams lose this week on Wednesday, North Carolina ranked fifth, lost to Duke at home. Most recently, last night, Maryland falls um, on the road to Minnesota. Minnesota didn't have a Big Ten win. I mean, that's big. Penn State beat Iowa, knocked off Iowa. Penn State, you know, they they also knocked off IU at home. And then Texas Tech, which is a bubble team, you know, they're probably playing themselves into the tournament now with that big win over Oklahoma at home. But what's your answer? Why is there no clear favorite, you know, in NCAA? And why are why are teams losing, you know, to these and it's not really to to really bad teams. Obviously there have been some bad losses this week, but why are teams losing so many games? I think um it kinda it still goes back to the one and done players. Um I think we talked about it before. Um, I think it's turned into this. To this, there's a lot of teams that are up there that are heavily experienced, and it seems like the has left the playing field is leveled. I don't know if it's going to last for just this year, and then it goes back to the where the one and dones are dominant again. But it seems that the level the playing field is leveled out right now, and that's why everybody seems to be the same talent. Well, level. and you know, I I think you're right, but. And the one-and-done thing, and it's it's a cycle. You know, Kentucky will be back. Duke will be back next year because they're going to get some of these players that are going to stay for another year. You know, Brandon Ingram, 
you know, he he'd probably be a lottery pick. But if I'm willing to, if I was a betting man, I'd say Ingram would be back. Um, a little more depth. Duke will have more scholarships open up next year. Here's my reasoning. You know, there's only ten teams out there in the Big Twelve, and I don't really count the Pac-12 right now because they're playing, you know, at a different level. But even the Big East, the Big East, the ACC, even the SEC a little bit, and even though I don't count some of the SEC schools as premier teams, South Carolina, LSU, they're good ball clubs, not premier. Um, Florida can give people trouble as well. So can Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt's not having quite the season they thought they were or really hoped for. But the Big Ten as well, you know, it's a logjam at the top. There's really no middle. Michigan State and Purdue are fifth and sixth or whatever in the Big Ten. There's no middle. It drops off to Minnesota, Penn State, Illinois. Horrible teams. Illinois beat Purdue. You know, Penn State's beat IU and Iowa. Minnesota beat Maryland last night. There's too much of a gap. So every time one of these top teams, you know, they're bullying each other. I mean, just bullying each other. You get some easy wins. You go, you get Rutgers at home in the Big Ten. That's easy. You know, you get Wake Forest at home in the ACC. That's hopefully easy. But there's five or six teams in the ACC. You know, Miami, Virginia, Notre Dame, Duke, North Carolina, they're and Louisville, Syracuse. Even they're beating each other up night in and night out. So when you go to a Wake Forest, when you go to a Minnesota or a Nebraska, you have a monkey on your back. Those teams are playing for something because they aren't winning very many games. Minnesota lost 14 in a row before knocking off Maryland last night. Did not have a Big Ten win. They're playing for something. You have a monkey on your back because you're so much better than them. There's a big gap. They really need that win. They have nothing to lose. I really think these teams are they're just going after it. You know, we we keep talking about this. You know, there's no clear favorite, but it's almost the end of February. Why can't we find this clear favorite? It's still, you know, doesn't it? It doesn't. We can't find figure it out. There's been other years, you know, Connecticut. Both of their runs, they made those deep runs that um, and won national championships. They came out of nowhere. They weren't a tournament team. They went from a non-tournament team or a bubble team into the Big East tournament to a five seed. Rode that all the way to national championship with Kimball Walker and won it. Who who would you, who you got right now? Or give me a couple teams that. You think are playing better, you know? Care. I mean, obviously Duke's playing better. They have questions. Carolina had won four or five in a row, but then they just lay that egg. They just you can see that, you know, every seven or eight games, they just look like they don't want to be in the game. You saw that against Duke. Who you got? Um, you know, you can argue is the Big East or the Big Twelve better. I, in my opinion, I think Big Twelve is the best conference of basketball this year. Um, I'm gonna have to say I'm gonna go with Kansas. Um, just for the fact that they beat Oklahoma twice. And um, I go back and forth between them. I think Oklahoma's a better shooting team. I think they have the best player in the country in Buddy Heald. And I think you would agree with me on that. But I think I have to go with Kansas' experience. Bill Self, you know, it's it's hard to really pick a team. But if I had to go with one, I'd go with Kansas. Yeah, and, you know, I, I'm still a couple weeks away from really being able to pinpoint it. Because, you know, I want to say Michigan State, but we got to see two weeks. But there are about four teams right now that I would not want to play. Number one's Kansas. Like you said, I mean, Selden and Ellis, you know, under Bill Self. Bill Self has got them firing on all cylinders. They've knocked Oklahoma off twice. They're back in the driver's seat to win the Big 12 for the millionth time in a row. The whole time Bill Self's been there. We'll see if they get it done. I think they will. They seem to have trouble with certain teams, you know, usually not. Early rounds, but that Sweet 16, Elite 8, something, always they get caught up. 
I think they're easily a Final Four team this year. Another team to look at, actually two teams out of the Big East. First off, Villanova. You know, Villanova, Jay Williams in the tournament, his teams have struggled. They have struggled. Jay Wright, whatever the coach's name is. Jay Wright. Jay, Jay Wright, Wright, yeah. yeah. They, they've struggled this one season, especially. The last Final Four they made was 2009 when Carolina beat Michigan State. 89-72, still remember that game. Villanova was a three seed. Made it to the Final Four. But I, I just – they haven't lost to an unranked team. Them and Xavier are two, two of the top teams. They're top five teams. I think they're both going to make it Sweet 16. So if you're filling out your bracket here in a few weeks, got to go with them in the Sweet 16. One team you don't – two more teams you don't want to play right now that I think don't have that – that playmaker necessarily, and that's always what I look for. Marcus Page, Denzel Valentine, Buddy Heal. Those are playmakers take over a game. Those three teams, hopefully, most likely going to be on my Final Four watch, Oklahoma, Michigan State, North Carolina. But right now, they got to start playing better. they got to show up night in and night out and prove themselves. Kentucky, it's theirs to lose in the SEC. I mean, they're right there again. John Calipari's got his freshman rolling. I'm not surprised one bit that he's got that going. Also, I talk, We talked about them earlier. The Indiana Hoosiers, you heard it here first. Tom Crean, somehow, the injury to James Blackman Jr. has lit a fire in that team. And here's why I think they can beat anybody in the country on any given night, any floor, anywhere, any time. It seems to me as they have somebody different step up every single night. Plus, they have a playmaker, Yogi Ferrell, who can take over a game and hit the big shot. I really like IU. Looking elsewhere, Gardner-Webb men's basketball. Big win last night over Charleston Southern. Obviously, you know, it's much-needed win over a team that isn't very good, but playing at home on TV, big win. Let's just take a quick gander here at the Big South standings or where Gardner Webb stands, they are sixth place, nine and seven in league play, fourteen and fourteen overall. Do you think this team has what it takes to, you know, maybe move and change their and prove their position in the conference standings and make a run at the tournament title? I believe they were a six or a seven, six seed, I believe, last year in the conference tournament, and they got it done. They got to the semifinals and barely had Coastal Carolina beat with a trip to the finals on the line. Do you think they can do it again? Um, I think they can challenge. Um, I'm not going to say that they will do it again, but I think they can. I think there needs to be some shifts in maybe not the starting lineup, but in different lineups. We've talked about that, maybe changing a player here and there when he puts in combinations. But like you said, they're about the same spot. I think they were a better team last year, but they're at that same spot in the conference where they can make a run. I mean, we went to UNC Asheville, watched them play. UNC Asheville, I think, is number one in the conference, and they took them down to the wire. And so they're able to play with anybody, but it's just that consistency that they lack in yeah, the play. And I really look forward to the conference tournament being at Campbell this year, not on the home floor of the Chanticleers down there in Coastal Carolina and Conway. Yeah, people are going to be upset because it's not at the beach, but – Campbell is a great venue. Campbell will not be a big threat to win the tournament. They, I wouldn't be surprised if they knock off somebody with an upset. But I think you're right. I think, and I think Coach Kraft's found those combinations. I just think he's still tweaking it out. Yeah. And he's figured it out. He's figured out there's some players that really need to be in the ball game. 
We'll see if any more changes. He's made some changes to starting lineup. I tell you, Burbage and Poston are really shooting the ball well. They're getting their points. Last night they had five players in double figures. I'm really looking for Nelson to come on strong here at the end. He's had a, a rough middle of the conference season. Look for Nelson to come on strong. I think they're going to improve their position. Deep run in the conference tournament. You never know what's going to happen. You know, it's a big south. You never know what's going to happen with those 11 teams. Looking at the women's, they're in much better position. They sit third, 11-5 in the conference, 17-9 overall. Got a great chance to get 20 wins. They've beaten Liberty. They've beaten Asheville. They play Asheville again at home next Tuesday. Um, they beat Presbyterian. I mean, just dominated Presbyterian in the second half, especially in the third quarter, outscoring them, I think, 27-2 um, on Tuesday night. They've already beaten Liberty. Liberty, I think, is the the one team, you know, in their way except for themselves. You give the women and Coach Reeves a legit shot at going dancing this year. Yes, I think I really think they have a really good shot. Um, like you said, I think Liberty might actually be the team to beat because they're starting to play way better. They've played. They've improved their play. They beat Gardner Webb by twenty something points last time they played them on the road. Um, and there, there's a possibility that their best player will be back. I think she might already be back, but she's on her way back. If she comes back, they're a threat. But I think Gordon Webb can do it. I mean, we saw him, we like again, we went up to Asheville, watched them play, and, I mean, it was a close game, but they show they can play with anybody. And, really, if they play like they did in the second half, Presbyterian, I know it's Presbyterian, but if they can improve their offensive shooting, I think they can win the conference. You know, and they, they seem to have spurts every game where they're like, what is going on? Yeah. But – Coach Reeves is the wackiest coach I've ever met. He puts in combinations, and I'm like, what is he doing? Five minutes later, they're playing their best ball of the game. I mean, he he is he's the epitome of a great – I mean, just his coaching style is different, but he gets results year in and year out. He gets He has great guard play. He gets teams that probably shouldn't be that good. I mean, you look at their bench when they're in the game, and – I mean, no offense to any of the players, but they're they're a few they're a year or two away from really having success at this level, I think. But he gets production out of those players every year, and I, like you said, I think you know, I think they have a good chance. I think if they play, can put forty minutes on the floor, they can beat anybody, and I think they can win an NCAA tournament game. I'm not. I mean, they beat North Carolina, and they played really well in one quarter to beat North Carolina. So if they play 40 minutes of good basketball or even 35 minutes, they can be anybody in the country. You know, obviously your exceptions, but they can win. Yeah. They can knock somebody off. Let's turn to the NBA real quick. Quickly here. Got a couple minutes left here on Seinfeld and Sports. We'll get to Seinfeld and the NBA. You're listening to Jared and Austin. You know, a pretender and a contender in the NBA. It's looking like Cleveland, Golden State, top of their leagues again, San Antonio, and Toronto falling in behind those two in the West and the East. But, you know, of not those top two teams, who's a pretender um, that's in the that's in the conference, you know, who would make the playoffs season today, but they're not going to be able to do that or not really be able to compete. And who's a who's a contender that people aren't really thinking about? Uh, from both leagues? Yeah, both the West and the East. Okay, uh, from the East... Um, we've talked about this over and over. Um, I know this comparison might be a little different, but I always compare Toronto, Toronto to the Cincinnati Bengals of NBA. They play so well during the regular season. They get that two or three seed, and then they 
get to the playoffs and they struggle. And until they prove it, I think that they're a pretender. Um, I, I hope that they prove otherwise. I would like to see Toronto be successful. I mean, I, I think Lowry's doing a great job there, and I would like them to do different, but I think they're a pretender. And I think a contender's your Pacers. I think they're a contender. Um, they trying to make moves and stuff, but I think uh, Paul George might be playing some of the best basketball of his career. Um, and I think that they're a contender. And I think in the West... Uh, a contender that people aren't really talking that I mean people are talking about but they're overshadowed by San Antonio and Golden State is Oklahoma City um, when you have Durant Westbrook who's probably they're probably two of the best two of the top five players in the league this year on the same team anything's bound to happen when you have that kind of talent on the same team um, we talked about that kind of lack of post presence maybe you know Ibaka's their post presence but I think they're a contender and it's so difficult in the West, but I say it's pretenders, probably the Grizzlies. I mean, they're probably going to make the playoffs, but offensively they're just abysmal. And losing Marcus All for probably the rest of this, I think it is for the rest of the season, I just think they're a pretender if they make it. I mean, they might backslide into it, but they're I think they're a pretender. Yeah, and you cannot disagree with the Oklahoma City Thunder as a contender in the West. They can score the ball at will. San Antonio, I just... I think they'll get beat. I think they'll get beat by Oklahoma City. And Oklahoma City is going to get to um, Golden State in the conference finals, and we're going to see one of the best conference finals we've seen in a long time. As a pretender in the West, you know, can't can't disagree with Memphis. I think you're exactly right. They've really kind of poured it on towards the end of the first half, you know, helped their positioning. But I'm going to go with the Los Angeles Clippers. They traded Lance Stevenson. They got rid of one bad bug. Obviously, Blake Griffin's a bad bug. Whenever he comes back, we'll see what they can do. I love Chris Paul, but hack a DeAndre Jordan and Blake Griffin. Um, you know, I just they have some they have some issues, and we'll see. But I just don't think they'll be able to make a push in the playoffs. Obviously, they're going to make the playoffs. Don't think they'll be able to make a push in the East. I like that you're picking on my Pacers there as contenders. I think they have an identity problem still. We'll see how Paul George comes out. They get the thunder on ESPN tonight, 8 o'clock on the road. A contender. I like that you said Toronto. I think they'll be right there um, as far as a pretender. A pretender in the East to me is Chicago. I just, you know, everyone's everyone rides high on Chicago. Why will they're a major market team? Why they were Michael Jordan's team. They have Derrick Rose, blah, 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 blah. Chicago stinks. People give it up. They're not going anywhere. Contender in the East, right now they sit as the three seed. They didn't, I don't believe, made any big moves at the trade deadline. Obviously, there wasn't a huge amount of big moves, noticeable ones. Boston Celtics. You know, I think two or three years are going to be one of the best teams in the NBA consistently. They have a great coach in Brad Stevens. He just gets them. He gets them to play good ball. They have a lot of good role players that all come together. You know, I heard him talk about this a couple weeks ago. They lack a star. Well, one might emerge here. I don't think they can give Cleveland a huge run for their money, but they'll give them a good push. I like Boston. All right, folks. Who's seen it? The episode, the statue episode of Seinfeld. I believe it's in the second season. Elaine has a. You know, somebody she's supposed to be writing her manuscript for, 
pub- editing it, publishing it for when she's working for Littman. Um, Mava, and whatever his name is, steals the beloved statue that Jerry finds in his uh, box of things. Kramer wants it, but George really deserves it because his parents, he broke one of theirs. Anyways, what did you think of that episode? I know I've got you hooked on Seinfeld. It's a different one. It's one. There's a lot of episodes where Elaine's kind of eh, quirky, and I don't really like. And there's also a lot of good side characters in the show Seinfeld that I really enjoy. This one, the side characters, you know, those that couple just really irritate me. But it's a good episode. There's a, a lot of detail. And it's one of those that I always talk about where they all four have their own separate things going on, but it all four comes back together. Yeah, um... I think the the best part of the episode obviously was Kramer pretending to be the cop or FBI or whatever he's pretending to be, and he come in and took the statue. And you know, I can kind of get serious about it for a moment. I think it kind of shows that you know he really considers Jerry and George and him as friends, and that's what he's willing to do to get that statue to get it for George. And then obviously it shows how blunder where he where he comes his downfall where he's blunderous when he he's clumsy when he hits George at the end and it shatters the statue but i think it shows that he likes them and he considers them friends but he's just so goofy and so clumsy when he does things that it kind of keeps him at that weird level yeah and you know Kramer's character changes a lot throughout the show um in the 9 seasons but you don't you know you kind of know from the first from the first episode when he walks from the first episode of the show, when he walks in and and runs a, a Mets game that Jerry had taped by telling him to score, you know he's kind of quirky. You know Jerry always says you haven't left the building in twenty years and all this stuff. But this is the first episode where you really, I mean, he let's get him. You know he's really he's really irky. I think you're right though. He really cares about um, George, Elaine, and Jerry, and you see that throughout the show that he always is doing stuff for them. He's doing stuff for Elaine that even George and Jerry wouldn't even think to do throughout the entire series. But like you said, I and Jerry, it's just different. He is, like Jerry puts it a good way. You know, he's not too humane. And you, you, we'll see a lot. And we'll talk Seinfeld each and every week. We'll have some quotes. We'll watch more episodes. I own the first few seasons on DVD. There's some. It's a great show. A lot of quirks. Kramer, George, Elaine, and Jerry. It's fun. We're out of time, way over time. Thanks for listening, guys. Next week, we'll be back. We'll be talking a lot more college basketball course. We'll be looking more ahead to conference tournaments. Folks, baseball's coming. We're going to do a special preview of both the American League and National League, picking our winners of each division and other things. Till next time, thanks for listening.